0: Revolution
1: Welcome to Food Freedom Radio, grounded on the idea that what's good for water is good for humans, and we need a food system which respects water. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about an event happening on Monday, December 11th at the State Capitol. A group of concerned citizens and environmental groups will deliver a letter to Governor Walls demanding better enforcements and protections for the environment and human health. And joining us to talk about this event is Paula Maccabee and uh, and Don Arnasti. Um, Hi, welcome to Food Freedom Radio.
0: Thank you, Laura. Thanks for having us
1: on. Both of you have such wide backgrounds. I'm just going to, let's let's start with you, Don. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what brings you to this work.
2: Well, for 35 years, I've been trying to create that revolution that your intro music talks about. (laughs) Um, I have been an environmental activist and uh, program director and executive director In about a half a dozen organizations over the last 35 years, I've worked on water issues, wildlife issues, carbon issues, agriculture, food, um, you name it, Um, and focused very much on state policy and uh, the issues and problems we have with state government not doing its job not acting in the public interest. And what I have seen over the last 35 years is really a diminution. When I was a young man 35 years ago, I thought, boy, we could do a whole lot better. And I'm going to work hard to see that we do better to pass better laws and force them, clean up our waters, protect our wildlife, have a healthy food system, have environmental justice, even though people weren't using those words then. Um, And really what I have seen is 35 years of backsliding and things largely getting worse. There are some specific indicators that are better and and usually people will point to those. Uh, But on the whole, uh, things are worse and the government is less responsive to the public interest and more responsive to private corporate interests than ever before.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to – on the last segment, I want to talk about I – love, I love what you said about the John Lennon music and that we're talking about the same stuff in that music because I think if we're able to get to that point, I think we can make our whole – our all of our systems and structures work better. But right now, it seems like the dominant um, economic money, um, transactional – I'm not even sure how to label it um, – um, ecosystems and
2: stories and narratives
1: are what's ruling our Absolutely.
2: System. Absolutely, I and... Pardon me, Paul. I just want to finish with one thing. Um, I think there was a major shift in our culture uh, in in and around 1980. We we had the 60s where it was an era of Silent Spring and people waking up that there was a lot of problems to the boom boom go go economy that we had. And during the 1970s, we passed a lot of laws and we created a lot of agencies to deal with pollution and and social problems and i think at the time people thought we pass a law and we create an agency problem solved and there was a real turn away from government as part of the solution about 40 years ago under reagan mm-hmm. and that is the time frame that I'm talking about.
1: Right, and we get to Paula, and that's the same time that farmers were told to get big or get out, and we lost a lot of farms, and we shifted a lot of our f- food system. So, Paula, um, yeah, you have an awesome background, so share with us all the work that you've done over the years and jump in any well, you, way you want.
0: Thank you so much, Laura, and Don, you gave a lot of cues because um, my first work for the environment was when I was still at Yale Law School, and I took off a year and worked as an intern Uh, with Chuck Dayton, who is one of the signatories to this letter. Um, He's still on the right side of issues. And at the time, I analyzed the Environmental Rights Act and the Environmental Policy Act that were just enacted in Minnesota. And I thought, this was hope. This was something that was going to really provide larger scrutiny of alternatives, safer alternatives, mitigation. And looking at it now, um, I graduated in 1981. so, So I've been doing this kind of work for 42 years. I think Donna's right that there was a change that happened, and it's taken some time to realize it, but if you remember, and for those of you on this show who are listening to the show who is, are young and don't remember anything about Ronald Reagan or David Stockman, their idea was that they were going to make government so small you could drown it in a bathtub. And what we've seen is that the regulatory part of government, which was supposed to be um, on the side of people and the environment, or at least a neutral arbiter, has become often the handholder for corporations, multinationals, not even local industry, and to make their lives easier. Now, what I've done, I come to the environmental work. It's, I've actually been working in in energy pipelines, um, wind turbines, repowering coal plants, um, moving a pipeline for an organic farm, and making some policy. That's part of my work has been the past thirty years. Before that, I was much more focused on social and racial. Um, justice and protecting women from violence and um, gay rights and human rights, and came into the idea of environment with a realization about it had gotten bad enough that effects of pollution were actually cutting lives short, whether it was with cancer, um, which was in my family, um, and realizing that the decisions we make would affect the next generation of our kids, their intellectual capacities, their behavioral capacities, of their health. And I've been the advocacy director and counsel for Water Legacy now for 14 years. And I think when we first looked at the issue of copper nickel mining, we thought the science and the law, this stuff is its just inconsistent with the science. It's inconsistent with the law. This will be over in just a couple of years, and they'll say no and we'll walk away and go on with our lives. And I think it's been a very somewhat... I would have to say traumatic education and how, for me, at least personally on how our government has found all kinds of ways to make it easier for multinational corporations to evade the law, evade the science, even change the rules of the game in the middle. You know, you're in the middle of a game other than monopoly where that happens all the time. You're in the middle of the rule, the game, and they change the rules on you. And so I think this is a really important letter. I think this is a really important discussion. And I think Don has really been a leader in sort of bringing this all together to talk about regulatory failure and regulatory capture rather than one or another isolated incident.
1: Mm-hmm. So um we have so much to talk about but uh, just um on the issue of um I mean the uh, the Minnesota Supreme Court on a 6 to 0 in August of 2023 ruled that the Minnesota, that the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency improperly granted permits in the Copper Nickel mine and I wanted to thank you Paula for all your work on that and uh, the issues are so complex in the news but just update us a little bit on 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 on, on your work and what happened and
0: I'm going to try and do this short story that really shows how this happened. Um, In 2018, Water Legacy, other environmental groups, the tribes were all providing comments on what was wrong with the draft polymed permit. Basically it had no limits on the pollution that would be discharged from wastewater treatment that would comply in order to make those pollutants comply with Minnesota water quality standards. It was I, sort of a shocking thing to look at for, uh, from our perspective. And we heard from whistleblowers um, that, this was un- that the EPA somehow had not put in its own comments. So Water Legacy immediately started doing Data Practices Act requests, Freedom of Information Act requests, and we got some sort of sketchy little notes that suggested something that had happened where EPA was going to put in comments and didn't. And so we went and talked. we found a retired lawyer from the EPA who had also talked to whistleblowers and he said, this is bigger than you think. And so we went out on a limb. Water Legacy, all of our environmental allies were telling us this was a nothing burger. Don't go there. And we spent a lot of time and effort with lawsuits under the Freedom of Information Act and requested that the Court of Appeals actually send this back to the district court to investigate. And what we learned And thankfully, our environmental partners were there, and the Fond du Lac band of Lake Superior Chippewa had lawyers. And we all converged in this district court hearing, and we found out not only did um, the EPA have comments that basically said this, this permit would violate the law, both state law, federal law, and even tribal law, but the Pollution Control Agency, for the first time in history, convinced the federal agency that was then the Trump administration political guys not to submit the comments that the scientists and the lawyers wanted. And then they destroyed their emails. They just trashed them. So there was no record of this request to the EPA and no record of what the EPA had told them. Because one of the managers was so concerned, he'd never seen anything before. He called the um, MPC on the phone and explained line for line what was in those comments and there was a, a conscientious lawyer who put that all down in paper, but then it was hidden, and it was not disclosed until we had to make a motion over and over to the court. So, so, so a, who so, employs the
1: Minnesota uh, Pollution Control Agency?
0: Well, this this was a decision. Actually, this is um, governor points the commissioner, but a lot of these bad practices of trying to circumvent the law provide no written records of it discussions. With the EPA. They went back years, actually, back to the time of the environmental review, like in 2010, 2013, the MPCA had been told the EPA, get going on this, get going on this, you're going to need permits. And they said, we don't want your comments in the record. And actually, MPCA division directors at the time scolded the EPA for putting their concerns in writing. So this was not, you know, we're focusing now on parliament decisions that happened during 2018 and and afterwards, but this is an ongoing process. And the Supreme Court said it was interesting. They said that the danger si- signals from failing to create a record and then from failing to preserve that record were so significant that they showed a lack of reasoned decision-making and an arbitrary and capricious decision. And I have to say that that was probably the strongest rebuke I've ever read out of the Minnesota Supreme Court and certainly the strongest rebuke to an agency. But so I think we're,
1: right get, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back. We're going to talk more about the event happening on Monday, December 11th. So from Smith Foundry to Nitrates in the Water to PolyMet, um, who owns our government and under what um, theories do that does our uh, government operate? Uh, we're talking uh, with Paula McAbee and uh, and Don Arnazzi and we'll be right back. Feeling so high I'm
2: floating in i
1: Food Freedom Radio is grounded on the idea that what's good for water is good for humans. Um, we need a food system which respects water. Um, and um, on, on uh, Monday, December 11th, um, a group of concerned citizens and environmental groups are going to be delivering a letter to the Governor Walls. And with us to talk about that letter is Paula Maccabee and um, Don Arnati. Um, and welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. So let's talk a little bit about the letter and what's happening on Monday. Uh, Paula, you want to go first?
0: Well, sure. I think we want to say, first of all, that this letter did not originate with any of the environmental groups that are established. It was a citizen grassroots action to look at all the instances in the press, everything from the Smith Foundry to the nitrate in the water that is creating risks for our infants, to polymet, to DNR failure to deal with timber in a responsible way. And they said, we've got to put this all together. And then many of us joined in. Um, because this is, and I think Don was one of the first people to talk about this as an organized issue. It's not just one permit or one example or one agency. It's a concerted failure of our state to be protecting health and protecting nature, even when the departments were foreign for that specific purpose. And this is a chance for us to give the governor a letter and say, listen, you're talking a lot to special interests. Just meet with ordinary citizens and listen to our concerns. Just sit down with us.
1: And Don, do you want to say anything else?
2: Yes, and I would say beyond sitting down with us, then instruct your agencies to fulfill their missions. Tell them that their number one job is to execute their missions in the public interest, not to report to him. I have had commissioners tell me, I work for the governor. And like they have a single boss and it's like, huh, that's interesting. You're the DNR commissioner. I thought there's a whole mission there. I thought you're responsible to 6 million of us, but nope, she works for the governor. That's it. So this is an attempt to meet with the governor and say, well, tell your employee to read her mission and start fulfilling it. (laughs)
1: and so give us uh, details on time and place and if you want people to join you and um, that
0: well we're going to be meeting um, John is out of town so I'm talking about this Yeah, unfortunately he's not going to be able to be there to join us but we're going to be meeting inside the Capitol doors shortly before noon on Monday and then we're going to walk over to the governor's office and I think what's really important is that um, many citizens have told me over the past several years that they've tried to set up a meeting with the governor to talk about nature, to talk about health, to talk about these failures of regulation. And this the door simply was not open to them. And I think so. Um, I think Don was saying what we want out of it eventually is sort of a recognition that the governor and all the legislators and all the agency staff worked for, the citizens of Minnesota, the residents of Minnesota, the voters in Minnesota, and they work to protect Minnesota's natural legacy of clean air and clean water and clean land and usable resources forever. Not for the short term, for a company's quarterly profits. And I think the, it, part of this effort is really to shift the balance back to where it should be, where the people come first and the profits come second.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go into some of these specific issues and probably get back to mining because that's big. But let's talk a little bit about Smith Foundry. I don't know if either one of you can talk about that in general. but
2: I'm I'm, uh, actually more acquainted with the water gremlin situation, which I think is similar to Smith Foundry, but I'm Mm -hmm. not as well acquainted with the particulars of Smith Foundry. Uh, But water gremlin is uh, a Minnesota business that makes uh, battery terminals, that most of us never see and fishing sinkers, which many of us buy, okay? So they they make little lead products and their uh, factory is near White Bear Lake. And for about a decade, they were emitting uh, excess levels of lead and trichloroethylene to the environment. This was being reported at times. It was being ignored by the Pollution Control Agency. That's a densely populated area. And of course, there's a lot of natural resources and water and everything in that area as well. And for 10 years, nothing was done about it until basically a local citizens group finally rattled the cage hard enough, got enough public attention that it really embarrassed the agency into taking effective regulatory action. And they fined them and got after them. And and now the company is is uh, looking like uh, they're uh, stopping making some of those uh, uh, polluting products.
1: Well, um, Smith Foundry, um, the, um, uh, the, uh, so the uh, EPA found violations at the Foundry from 2018 to 2023. Uh, federal yep. findings um, said that they uh, emitted uh, nearly twice the amount of air pollution allowed by the state of Minnesota, and yet the state Minnesota top pollution air, um, authority was uh, quoted in the star Tribune as saying, um, you know, we're not sure about that. So... Um, Uh, so then uh, and and part of me wants to be understanding that you know life is really complex for us all right now and I don't want I I think these people are probably really really hard working but at the same time I think there might be some underpinnings and that's what I think we're trying to unearth here so Paula what would you say about that?
0: I think Laura what this case points out and this is not the first one is that what you find depends on what you look for and so in in it, and this whole dispute is about EPA did monitoring and then did calculations. And one of the challenges that I think we see a lot in the work of our agencies is you don't get the right answer if you use certain answers you're not looking for. For example, the Minnesota Department of Health in, in 2008 to 2011, they did a great job. They actually found out what are the um, mercury levels in newborn infants in the Lake Superior region. And what they found out is Minnesota, one out of ten infants in that Lake Superior region were born with unsafe levels of mercury. And doctors since have been asking, "Well, why haven't you followed up? What's happened? Is it better? Is it worse?" Silence. Similarly, you know, Minnesota Department of Health um, did a great study of asbestos-like fibers from the mining industry, and they found that they did not cause a specific kind of mesothelioma because there wasn't a big enough data sample but there were increases in fatalities and concerns about heart and lungs. And then that study was abruptly terminated. So in those cases, you had actual, very rigorous, intentional attempts to protect the public Mm -hmm. health. And when it looked like the result was not good, the study stopped. Um, I think we have to, you know, I'm not an expert in Smith Foundry, but I think there's a general question. Do you only find what you look for? the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency is finally proposing this year to list Birch Lake as impaired due to having too much sulfate and that impairment of wild rice. And this has been the level of pollution in Birch Lake. Initially, the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency simply was not studying that. they had studied it back during the copper nickel study and then there was like one sample in 2019 And citizens groups, um, Northeastern Minnesotans for Wilderness, the NILSAP, which is a Northern Lake Science Advisory Panel, which is completely volunteer, went out and did that study and took many, many samples, stuck them in front of the MPCA. And the EPA said, listen, next time around, you better take this study seriously and come to a conclusion on Birch Lake. So I think that Without knowing as much as I need to know about Smith-Foundry to say that, I think we need to ask our agencies not just to do the right policy, but to do the right science, for goodness sake, and not to walk into a situation saying what, does, what we don't see, what we, doesn't he- we don't hear, what we don't measure doesn't hurt us. I mean, that's like the little three monkeys, see no evil, hear no evil, and that's not the way our agencies should be protecting us.
1: So you're listening to Food Freedom Radio, and we're talking with uh, uh, environmental activist uh, Paula Mcabee and uh, Don Arnotti. And uh, we're going to take a brief break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk more about the event happening on December 11th. Um, Environmental groups and they're asking state agencies to do better. easy to, to want to clean water, and, and to, it, it can be very hard, can it all. <laughs> Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. This is Laura Headline. We're talking with Paul McAbee and and, and Don Arnetti. Um, and we're talking about um, several environmental groups are um, going to give a letter to Governor Walz um, um, and uh, state agencies um, in charging that there's regulatory failures. And let's again just start with some of the quick overviews of, of some of the regulatory failures that we've seen. There was some around polymorphia. Met, the Smith Foundry, the Gremlin Water Fountain, but what other, what other issues
2: were there? Well, I, I think uh, in the area of agriculture, um, we've had just decades of agencies looking away and pointing fingers in other directions. I, I was on a call this morning, and I have to get on a call right after this that relates very directly to these issues. So we have enough data to know that the waters in our southern and western Minnesota are primarily polluted as a result of agricultural drainage and runoff. We know that. We, we have all the data we need for that. Yet, when we talk to the agencies, local and state, that are responsible for what are called TMDLs and RAPs and One Watershed, One Plan, these are various acronyms and names for plans to analyze where the pollution's coming from, and reduce it to the level at which the water's deemed clean, uh, or only moderately polluted, that it stays under the limits that are established. We have the same people who are responsible for preparing these plans that are approving expanded drainage, which moves in the opposite direction. And just yesterday, I was on a call with the head of the Board of Water and Soil Resources, John jasky who's a good man, who's who's implementing his agency the way it was designed, which is to be controlled by rural agricultural interests and to not do anything that his board doesn't let him do. And I asked him, do you see any obligation whatsoever to point out when the, you have two contradictory missions. You have a mission to develop plans to clean up the water, and then you have a board that tells you to stay out of the way while agricultural interests continue to expand drainage, runoff, and pollution. And and I said, do you have any mission to point that out to people and tell them that we will not get to clean water with the way we have built your agency? And no, he's, he said, I only report what I'm told to tell. And And so we are in a situation where the people of Minnesota have taxed themselves under you know the three-eighths of 1% uh, sales tax, of which we're putting hundreds of millions of dollars a year over 25 years with a promise that this will result in clean water. And I am here to tell people we are being ripped off because that money is going into a system that is producing a lot of science and plans, and then those science and plans are being ignored by the exact same agencies that developed them the, uh, I mentioned in the break, Laura, that I was part of the Isaac Walton League uh, for five years. I was the state director and working with a chapter down in Mauer County that had a tremendous citizen science program going for two summers where they took over 500 samples and they ran E. coli tests, which is a pollutant you don't want in the water. It it's obviously makes people sick. And it comes from waste, human waste, animal waste, et cetera. And over 70% of the samples that they took over two summers exceeded health limits. The DNA, the DNA sampling that was done indicated that we had hog, cattle, and human waste that made up that, which really indicates you have an agricultural problem and you have, in this case, a septic problem uh, because the the only uh, municipal sewage plant there was being you know closely tracked. They weren't the source of... Of the problem. Well, what has been done? There's a 10-year program of the county to try to beg the people who have straight pipe discharges to ditches and rivers to stop discharging their septic waste right into the river. There's nothing being done beyond voluntary education having to do with feedlots. And basically what we're talking about is a failure of the Department of Health, the DNR, the MPCA, the local county, county health authorities, the county board, they're all looking the other way. When this river, the Cedar River, which was promoted as a recreational river, and they promote it and they have businesses there to get you out in tubes and in inner tubes and canoes to swim and, and uh, enjoy yourself in the river, the the citizen science that the Isaac Waltley found was the safest place for a parent to send their kids to go play in that river was immediately below the sewage outfall from Austin, Minnesota. Why was that? Because the water coming out of the sewage plant was cleaned up to safe standards and it diluted the pollution in the river for a mile or so to safe standards. But everywhere else in the river is unsafe. And we've just got dozens of uh, government officials looking the other way.
0: Yeah, I I think that one of the things that Don has hit on is really crucial here is that the agencies are all primarily in the position of pretty please rather than statutes, rules and requirements. Mm -hmm. And if pretty please doesn't work, they may put out more and more beautiful science showing that the area is polluted, but pretty please is not necessarily cleaning up anything. And one of the issues that the citizens who are putting together this meeting for Monday are talking about is nitrates. And yes. there is a, there's a limit of, for nitrates in the groundwater, but there is no limit at all for nitrate in surface water. And so that water can be put into the surface water, and there's no, there's no way to say you can't do that. And it affects aquatic life. It kills endangered species. It kills amphibians. And when it's used for drinking water, seeps into drinking water, it can result in blue baby syndrome, basically um, impair the ability of a baby to use oxygen properly. And so here's a situation where we have all kinds of nice request programs and our taxpayer money is going into pretty please. But it's not going into science based requirements and it's not going into science based permits. It's not going into science based enforcement. And I think a really good example, though, is the taconite mining industry usually gets a pass. But a lot of the destruction of wild rice in northern Minnesota and the increase in mercury contamination of fish as a result of sulfate discharge is in, is related to the taconite mining industry. And in 2013, I remember this was like it's 10 years ago, the Pollution Control Agency and EPA actually made an agreement to systematically update and improve and enforce those permits, well, guess what, hasn't happened, and I don't know what's happened in the past ten years because they no longer give out the to the public the reports on you know mining status permits. They were doing them until a few years, but now you can't even find out what happened.
2: Well, Paula, <sighs> there used to be permits that were expired for twenty five years.
0: There still are. And um, when they finally put together the permit for U.S. Steel's Mintac Tailings Basin, it got reversed by the courts. It was still too weak. It did not comply with the Clean Water Act. And that was in 2019, and it hasn't come back up yet. So I think there's just a policy of, of not solving the problem at the beginning. And then once the community, the tribes, the citizens who live in there and do science, once they expose the problem... It's a policy of dragging your feet in order to avoid having to charge anyone or or require that they do something different. I'm gonna
1: do some more shows on, on nitrates because it's such a huge issue but um uh, so the the EPA um, actually um, told Minnesota no you got to regulate you got to do better and so um, I took some notes from a, on December 1st the state of Minnesota responded to the EPA and uh, some of the details in the letter and I think it gets to your point Paula is here's some of the carrots we've offered to stop this so there's 9.5 million dollars uh, from July of 2023 for the next two years to improve local water quality um, there's going to be a wastewater nitrogen reduction strategy, um, and uh, and and they're looking at a, a framework to reduce this. But I and and but but again, most of those are like carrot approaches. And regulatory also has some. No, you can't do that. I mean, that's what a good. No, you can't eat all sugar. I mean, <laughs> no, you can't. That's not good for the water. And 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 what you're saying, I think, is that the Minnesota P- regulatory. Um, agencies have kind of uh, I don't know if I can use the word lost their balls (laughs) (laughs) I think I can (laughs) but there's would you agree with that
2: I I would say agencies don't know how to say no period and in fact I've had arguments with commissioners and, and people in charge of permitting where they say we cannot say no we are not allowed to say no we must find a way to say yes and whether that has a basis in law or whether that's baked into the culture that's that's where people can argue but the the fact is we have regulatory agencies who do not know how to say no they do they and there are egregious cases just polymat is probably one of the worst in terms of ridiculous proposals ridiculous fake science that the agencies turn their blind eye to and say, uh, we will do adaptive regulation. That problem will not come up for 10 years. So we will permit it and we will figure out a solution 10 years from now. And it's just ridiculous kind of uh, backbending, backflips they take in order to say yes to everybody who wants to come and benefit from the public resources for their private gain. We've, in essence, we privatize the public resources, clean water, our forests, our wildlife, our air, people's health, those are all for sale in Minnesota.
0: Well, I have a slightly, it's sort of building on that view. First of all, I will tell you emphatically, the law does not preclude any of the agencies from saying no. The law requires them sometimes to go to, like for example, there's no nitrate standard, but there is a standard that you can't put toxic quantities of anything in the water. So if you have the science, and the NPCA has had the science since, since 2010, they did a wonderful job of summarizing the science. If you have the science that shows that endangered species, amphibians, etc., will be harmed by nitrates, you can say, "Look, this is the science. We're putting this limit in. End of story." So the law and the DNR's permit permitting rules, they those rules allow the DNR to say no to permits. And they allow the DNR, instead of just having a quiet behind the scenes five-year plan when everything changes, they certainly allow the DNR to require a permit amendment, a new permit. The laws allow the regulatory agencies to protect us. But I think what don is getting at it, and i'm not going to use the uh, the male organ as a metaphor because women are plenty strong too backbone, are, lack, lack, of
1: backbone. Backbone, lack of backbone lack
0: of backbone lack of guts and the laws require and we're going to take we're going
1: to take a break we'll come back for our last segment and i want to make sure we get in to uh, also mention the elimination of the mpc board and and. MPCA board. Um, and yes. and then what's our hope? I mean, where do we take this conversation? Because um, I, I think there's a lot of people in government that really are putting their heart and they're putting their best out there. And it's a complicated world. How do we all come together there on the table under the shared vision of clean water? And we know there's a lot of people that would get very activated if you say, I can't throw that waste there. I can't do anything. There's money issues. It gets complicated fast. But how do we How do we um, honor our ancestors and and protect our descendants um, by knowing that clean water is is, is life and, 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 and having that? So we'll be right back. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950. We can work it out. You're listening to Food Print Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and we're talking about um, uh, several groups, including the Friends of the Boundary Waters, Pollinary, Pollinator Friendly Alliance, Water Legacy, um, are going to be delivering a letter um, to Governor Walsh and other state agencies charging with regulatory um, failures. And talking about this um, grassroots effort is um, – uh, um, uh, um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have so much of my brain I want to get in right now. So. <laughs> but okay. Paula and Don, um, just try to wrap this up because I know we have so few minutes and th- these are such complicated issues and I'd really love to bring light to, uh, t- to, um, to these.
2: Well,
0: to, I'm uh, going to let you go first, Don.
2: Uh, go. I'll, very quickly, I'll trace a sad pattern of loss of public oversight over the PCA. The PCA was founded about 50 years ago where the a citizen board, an appointment, appointed citizens were the agency and the staff worked for them. About 30 years ago, the commissioner became the chair of the citizens board, which sort of mixed the message about who was in charge, right? And in 2000, and the, the role of the MPCA board came became more like an auditor looking over the Uh, shoulders of the staff and a public forum for the public to show up and say, hey, this uh, water gremlin thing, you know, this is happening in my neighborhood. Would you take a look at it? Well, in 2015, the citizen board had the temerity to overrule the staff and say that a 9,000 cow dairy required an EIS because there would be such tremendous impact from that concentration of cows. By the way, that petition for that EIS was brought by neighboring farmers. Um, and the fact that they ordered that rather than an EAW, the legislature went ahead and eliminated the citizen board, took away the public public view into the agency, took away those monthly forums where citizens could come and present their problems. And subsequent to that, several years later, Paula talked earlier in the show about this nefarious skullduggery that the agency conducted with the EPA to bury the EPA comments about how uh, inappropriate the water pollution permit was that they issued to PolyMet. What I think needs to be turned around is people's engagement and recognize that unless they step up and demand that legislators act in the public interest, legislators pressure the governor and agencies to act in the public interest and that the governor himself hears from that, that your agencies are there to fulfill their missions and act in the public interest. What we need to do collectively, and Laura, thank you for doing that with this program, is raising people's awareness, helping them understand that this is a pattern that is not only here in Minnesota, frankly, it's nationwide. Globally. This is a nationwide pattern where our government has been taken over by the entities that they should be there to regulate and moderate so that the public interest is brought forward. And I think the hope in all of this is I think we might have hit rock bottom because these issues are popping out. And I always like to say, when you flip on the lights, the cockroaches scurry for the corners. (laughs) And a a free press is the light. And this program is the light. Why do they scurry from why do the cockroaches scurry for the corners? It's because the public becomes informed, becomes engaged, and that's the only thing that can push back against moneyed interest in this democracy that we have. Organized people.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, and I'd add to that, and I'm going to go one step stronger. It's not just that the cockroaches scurry, but that sunlight is the best disinfectant. And I think our experience with the polymed project is something that's really taught me two things happen in Polymet that don't usually happen. One, we have an independent court system and the courts applied the law and the science. And we have to be grateful for that. And that in the federal level, um, that ended up with a federal court and the Army Corps of Engineers following the law and the science. And the other thing is that possibly because of uh, Polymet, there has been a real spate reporting, like all the in- incidents that this um grassroots pollinators group came up with, many of them were reported in the press and that the more we have the courts and the press, that's part of the solution. And the rest of it, much of this pressure to cotton up, cozy up to industrial interests and agricultural interests without considering the public and nature is coming from the legislators. Mm -hmm. And so if everybody can say, I'm going to call my legislator, I'm going to say, Public health and the nature for the next generation and sustainability, these are my priorities. And you're going to show up to vote, and you're going to vote with your feet as well as your wallet. That's going to make a big difference because our regulatory agencies and our governor are only as accountable as our political process makes them. That be The sad truth, but there's a lot of pressure coming in from the other side. So we have to be the pressure and we have to be the sunlight. Yes. Pressure and the sunlight and sunlight
1: is better pressure. You know, I mean, it really is. Right. So um, down to our last 32 seconds. Uh, thank you both. And again, if anyone wants to follow up or wants to get details about um, how they can connect um, Monday, December 11th to um, the Go to Water Legacy, Paula, or where would
0: be good? You know, spot? Um, I think if you just if you just do info at waterlegacy.org, we're not the key, but we'll get you to the important people who can take it from there.
1: Great. Well, I thank you so much, Paula Maccabee and, and Darn Ar- 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 Arnetti. And I thank you for listening. And I actually really appreciate all the work you guys have done over the years. Um, and, um, and I loved how we started this, you know, like that Vito sound. Let, let's create that. Let's let a bird. So right. thanks for listening.